When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's episode is brought to you by Studio Sweden. Believe it or not, 2018 is coming to an end, and tis the season to be jolly. So if you're looking for headphones that are reasonably priced and pretty, look no further. Please stay tuned for more information for our exclusive promo code. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hey everyone, as always, you know the drill. Here is a promo from a very well-produced and very well-written podcast that I personally like very, very much. Take a listen. Canada may be known as the friendliest country in the world, but make no mistake, it has some of the most shocking criminal cases too. My name is Christy and I host Canadian True Crime. I'm Australian, but I've been living in Canada for many years. Canadian True Crime takes a deep dive into some of Canada's most well-known cases, like the Ken and Barbie killers, Robert Picton the pig farmer, and many smaller cases you probably haven't heard of but are just as fascinating. If you're looking for the facts of the case told in a narrative storytelling format with ambient music, you can find me on your favourite podcast app or social media just by searching for Canadian True Crime. As you can probably tell, Christy, the host, is Australian, but she lives in Canada, so I would say she knows her Canada very well. I've been listening to this podcast for quite a while now, and I find all the cases told to be very intriguing and very well presented, so I highly suggest you all give this a go. Alright, now let's begin today's episode. Cambodia, 
Officially known as the Kingdom of Cambodia, it's a country made up of 25 provinces located in Southeast Asia. Size-wise, it is around 70,000 square miles, and it is sandwiched between Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam. The official language spoken in Cambodia is Khmer, and their second language would probably be French, as it was once colonized by France, and 95% of the population practice Theravada Buddhism. Minorities in Cambodia include Vietnamese, Chinese, and an Austronesian ethnic group called the Khams. The capital city of Cambodia is Phnom Penh. Since Cambodia is a kingdom, it has a monarch and a prime minister. The monarch is chosen by the royal throne council, and the prime minister would be the head of the government. Regionally speaking, in Southeast Asia, Cambodia would more likely be referred to as Kampuchea or Kumai, while Cambodia is used more often in the Western world. Cambodia is a rising economy, and they're very famous for their rice, as they have won awards for that. Cambodia's garment industry takes up about 80% of their export, which includes shoes, clothing, etc. Tourism is also on the rise, and one of their most visited sites is Angkor Wat, which is one of the most important archaeological sites of Southeast Asia. Now, let's take a quick look at the very extensive history of Cambodia. Going back to prehistoric Cambodia, there have been traces of humans inhabiting the land all the way back to the end of the last glacial period. Date-wise, it's hard to tell because it was forever ago, but there are also signs of the hunter-gatherer communities and evidence of the transition into the Neolithic Age. They made transitions going from using stones to bronze, and eventually to iron for their tools. Around the 1st to 6th century, the southern end of the peninsula was known as Funan, and it was known as a loose network of various states. After the Funan period came the Chenla period, which lasted till around the 9th century. Then came what we know of as the Kumai Empire. The ruler at the time, excuse my pronunciation, Jayavarman II made several conquests and established an empire that lasted for several centuries, with Angkor as the capital of the Kumai Empire. It was also around the 13th century when monks from Sri Lanka arrived and spread the word of Buddhism, which soon became the official religion of the Kumai. But they also had bad times. Due to several wars being fought with neighboring kingdoms, Angkor was overtaken and an era known as the Dark Ages began. Since Cambodia was pretty much stuck between Vietnam and Thailand, these two nations continued to fight over control of Cambodia, completely disregarding what Cambodia wanted. This eventually led to the Siamese-Vietnamese War that started in 1841 and ended in 1845, where the two countries agreed to place Cambodia under joint control. Imagine parents fighting for the custody of a kid, except the kid is not really their kid, but just another adult who doesn't want to be under anybody's care. Yeah, history is weird like that. Since Vietnam was also under control of the French, Cambodia eventually became a protectorate of France. Of course, you know, Europeans always have a say in Asian matters. 
The French pretty much owned Cambodia from 1867 to 1953, and they had a say as to who they wanted to sit on the throne in Cambodia. They eventually put Norodom on the throne, expecting this young king to be easy to manipulate, but it turns out they were wrong, and Cambodia finally gained independence from everybody on November 9th, 1953. A lot of stuff was happening in the neighboring countries, but Cambodia always tried to stay out of it. Then along came the war in Vietnam, and Cambodia did try to stay out of it, but they also did not object to communist Vietnam using their country as sanctuary or their roads to fight South Vietnam. If you think that this meant Cambodia was on the side of the communists, no. Cambodia also told the U.S., well, if you want to bomb the communists in Cambodia, you could. Just don't kill our own people. So the U.S. went ahead and bombed Cambodia, but aiming for the Vietnamese communists. As we know, bombs don't really have a brain or do they have eyes, so they don't really know what they're destroying. Cambodia later on changed their stance and even appealed to international media, asking for all bombings on Cambodian territory to stop. But it did not stop. Before Cambodia was being constantly bombed, Laos, the country to the north of Cambodia, was heavily bombed for similar reasons back in the 60s. I mean, you try to stay out of it and all, but your country just happens to be located right there in the middle. So long story short, the king was dethroned in the 1970s, so he fled to China and North Korea to seek help. A republic took over, demanding all communists to leave the land of Cambodia, which was then backed by the United States. The king was unhappy at how things turned out, did the whole not-on-my-watch thing, and in 1973, he buddied up with the rising Cambodian communist group to overthrow the republic. This led to the Khmer Rouge, aka the communist group, to take over Cambodia in 1975. The following years would be one of the darkest years in the history of Cambodia, and this is what today's episode is going to be about. Between the years 1975 and 1979, Cambodia was ruled by the Communist Party of Kampuchea, aka the Khmer Rouge or the Red Khmer. During these four terrible years, this group ruled the nation by instilling fear in the Cambodian citizens. And not just that. They did unspeakable and horrible things to their own people and minorities living in Cambodia. After researching this, I think it wouldn't be very far-fetched to compare the Cambodian genocide to the Holocaust from World War II, just on a smaller scale. Crazy leaders be spreading crazy messages, and the only way to stay in power is to threaten people and live up to your threats. This episode will contain graphic details of mass murder and torture, so please proceed with caution. But I do hope you all take the time to listen to this, as this encompasses murder, history, and hopefully, life lessons. I believe most listeners are probably more familiar with the Holocaust, so I felt it necessary to discuss this. Let's begin by taking a step back. So how did this group start? They began assembling around the 1960s in the jungles of eastern Cambodia, recruiting people that were not content with how things were run in their country. 
As there are a communist group, they were supported by many other communist groups in the area. The Khmer Rouge's main plan was to take back Cambodia from all that was happening and form it into a rural communist utopia. They teamed up with the exiled king in 1973 and used him as a figurehead. Both the king and the Khmer Rouge leaders would benefit from this relationship. Many Cambodian citizens still hope to see the exiled king return, and that would be a great way to attract more followers for the Khmer Rouge. Honestly though, all the bombing that was taking place in Cambodia by the US and Vietnam really terrified the local Cambodians. It's all really a bit of a chain reaction. With all these bombs dropping all over Cambodia, the locals had no way to live a normal happy life, so it makes sense for them to turn to a party that was trying to get rid of the problem. The people most probably didn't know what they were trying to do, and when you're in a desperate situation, you do tend to turn to any available help you can find. In the eyes of the locals, the Khmer Rouge was surviving and fighting the enemy, and probably they found that to be admirable. If you're wondering who was behind all the bombing, it was the then US President, Nixon. Apparently, he had made the calls to drop bombs and wage war in Cambodia without the approval of Congress, and when they finally found out about it, like way later, they were pretty unhappy with that. It really depends on which side you look at this from. From Nixon's point of view, he thought it justified because although Cambodia was a neutral country, his fellow American soldiers were getting killed there so he had to do something. I don't know. Whatever the reason, it's really unfair for Cambodia and all the innocent people who lost their homes and lives. On this matter of the bombing in Cambodia, it was considered sufficiently sensitive that I was not privy to the information at the time it was going on, nor at the time that I submitted the reports to the Congress. I'm sure, Mr. Chairman, you will agree and I think the American people will agree that we should take whatever action is necessary in order to protect the lives of the American people. And that's what this operation was all about. And it was very effective. Why didn't you tell us about it and justify? Why do we have to rely on false information? Why does the Secretary of the Air Force have to come before this committee and say he deeply regrets and he's ashamed of the fact that he didn't give us accurate information because he himself was misinformed? Here you will hear an official from the U.S. Embassy in Cambodia speak about the bombings in Cambodia. I didn't know anything about the bombing when I went to Cambodia. And in fact, I didn't know anything about it until after it broke in newspapers. Uh, for some reason, I was never briefed on what was going on. I was aware of bombing, uh, but not necessarily in Cambodia, because in my house on the banks of the Basak River at night, uh, I not only could hear the bombing, but the whole house shook uh, from the load of bombs when they were dropped, I assumed in Vietnam, but I suppose that uh, eventually, I mean, most of them were being dropped in Cambodia. In 1973, a B-52 dropped a bomb in a town in Cambodia, killing more than 100 civilians. But you know what? That bombing was actually a mistake. A major ass whoops for real. The crew member that made the error was heavily punished. 
Yeah, how heavy? He was fined a total of 700 US dollars. Yeah, I know. Call me crazy, but what the hell? Then the American embassy gave each of the survivors 100 US dollars as compensation. I know this was like 45 years ago and in a third world country, but I just, I just can't imagine and it just feels really blah. But on the bright side, the US stopped bombing Cambodia altogether. Now with that out of the way, the Khmer Rouge had enough people and they had their plans laid out. They were ready to fight and destroy their way into the capital city of Phnom Penh. Their plan started out with evacuating every single town and village. They told the civilians that this evacuation was for their own safety, and they had to obey. If they resisted or protested, they would be killed immediately. The Khmer Rouge had no patience and did not take criticism very well. They continued sending everyone off to rural campsites, including walking for days without adequate rest or food. Finally, in April of 1975, the Khmer Rouge had completely taken over the capital city and thus began the reign of the democratic Kampuchea. Alright, let's take a quick break from today's episode so I can tell you more about Studio. As an avid podcast and music listener, one of your basic essentials should be a good pair of headphones. My newest pair of Studio Sweden is the Vasabla, and obviously I got the black one because that's the perfect color for me. Aside from being Bluetooth headphones, meaning super convenient, the design for these headphones are extremely minimalistic and they're very light. The Vasabla has a battery life of 8 hours and a standby mode for up to 10 days. I used to own headphones where I had to charge them every single freaking day and it would just die on me while I was in the middle of something. This is very tragic indeed. Of course, Studio has a great selection of different headphones and earphones, and they are all rather stylish and ear-friendly. So, with the holidays coming up, you can use my Studio code to get 15% off your purchase and enjoy free worldwide shipping. I love buying stuff online, but every time I get to the shipping costs, it's like double the amount of the actual item, which is frickin' ridiculous. Use my code now, ASIANMADNESS15, as in the number 15, to get a discount, and send these to your friends, your family members, or even your enemies if that's how you roll. That's ASIANMADNESS15. Now, let's head back to Cambodia. Before I continue telling you about the details of the genocide, I think I need to tell you who the main players were. By main players, I mean the leaders of the Khmer Rouge. These men were incredibly cruel, awful, and cold-hearted. The worst of the worst, probably Adolf Hitler-level douche. First up, the worst of the worst is Pol Pot, aka Brother Number One. He was the general secretary and also known as the leader of the entire Khmer Rouge party slash movement slash massacre. Q Sampan, aka brother number four, was the president of Democratic Kampuchea. Son Sen, aka brother number 89, was the defense minister. Yang Sadi, 
a.k.a. brother number three, was the deputy prime minister and also the brother-in-law of Pol Pot, brother number one. Nuan Cha, a.k.a. brother number two, was the prime minister and the right-hand man of Pol Pot. Of course, there were many, many more terrible players, but these would be considered pretty much the worst. The Khmer Rouge also rounded up and recruited thousands of children to help do their dirty work, where they would carry guns and carry out executions and mass murder. It was much easier to control children as they are basically blank pieces of paper, and they tend to follow orders without questions. Some children were forced into the Khmer Rouge, while some joined voluntarily because they saw it as their only way to survive. Many had lost their families and had nowhere to go and no way to survive. Ideology-wise, yes, it was largely communism, but that would be slightly vague and too general. The Khmer Rouge ideology is based on Marxism, Stalin's outlook of the French Communist Party, Maoism from China, a form of advanced communism from Albania, and extreme Khmer nationalism. The party worked on abolishing personal interest in human behavior and heavily promoted a communal lifestyle. They also put more emphasis on human willpower, believing that this can overpower material and historical conditions. In a sense, they kind of took bits and pieces from what they liked, from different communist ideas, and formed it into their own system. As for their extreme nationalism, they were very much against anybody who was not pure Khmer. This meant anybody not 100% Khmer were targeted, including all people with mixed ethnicity. The Khmer Rouge wiped out all major cities and relocated everyone to rural labor camps or prison camps. For real though, it was one or the other. These people did not have a choice. One day they were living their lives, the next day, the Khmer Rouge army stormed into their village or city and sent everybody away. People were killed on the spot if they protested or hesitated. As a new boss in town, this is how the Khmer Rouge made their presence known. Labor camps might not sound too bad, but everyone was underfed, thus suffering from malnutrition and various diseases. And if you slacked, you were killed on the spot. No questions asked, no sympathy shown. People were physically tortured, and when necessary, groups of people would be executed. You would find these killing fields all over, and once the killing was done, they would all be buried in mass graves. As I mentioned, the Khmer Rouge were determined to change the nation to an agrarian society. Under the Khmer Rouge reign, the nation kind of took a major step back, and everything Cambodia had once had or known to be part of their daily lives, were no longer accessible. They took away everything from schools to medical facilities to currency. And they now relied on the barter system, as in, you give me milk, I give you meat, or something. The Khmer Rouge controlled everything and everyone, including what you said, what you did, who you married, where you worked, and, well, if you lived or died. Premarital sex was punishable by death, and if you wanted to marry someone, the Khmer Rouge had to approve it. If they thought that you two were not a good match, the marriage would not be allowed. And you thought your mom was strict and picky, haha. 
The Khmer Rouge was also trying to destroy the large extended family units, where extended families lived together or in the same area. They would deliberately tear families apart and send them to different campsites so they would not be together. As for schooling, primary education was still available for some children, at least those who were not imprisoned. The Khmer Rouge desperately wanted to destroy anything that was not beneficial to them, so they controlled the education system in an extreme manner. No foreign languages, no international studies, nothing international basically. You were only taught to read and write, and then force fed Khmer Rouge information. Now, let's take a look at those who were targeted by the Khmer Rouge. Like I mentioned previously, if you were not 100% of Khmer ethnicity, you had a 99% chance of getting executed. This mainly included Vietnamese, Thai, Chinese, and Cam people. If you have any sort of advanced education or a career in something like medicine, legal matters, or journalism, there would be a good chance you would die. If you practice religion, mostly Islam or Christianity or Buddhism, you could very likely die. If you somehow did not die, you were then forever banned from speaking your native language or practicing your career. Of all the minorities, this would be one of the worst times to ever be Chinese. Apparently, the Khmer Rouge had strong resentment towards anyone of Chinese descent because they saw all Chinese people as those who exploited Cambodia. The population of ethnic Chinese people decreased by around 200,000 during these years, which is around half of its original population. So in order to make the first cut, you had to be 100% Cambodian, an atheist, and not an intellectual in any way, shape, or form. Not even high officials within the government, or even within their own party, was spared. If they found out one of their own wasn't of pure Khmer blood, they were executed or thrown into prison. It's better to be safe than sorry. Harsh life. Since all specialized professions were pretty much abolished, well, that meant banks, hospitals, courtrooms, police stations, none of that existed anymore. It was just Khmer Rouge on one end, and everybody else on the other end. So if doctors were not allowed to do their doctor thing, what happened when people needed doctors or if they wanted to do the whole human experimentation thing? We know that a lot of crazy and inhumane experiments and surgeries happened during the Holocaust, and although it happened during the Cambodian genocide as well, it was slightly different. Remember how children were recruited? Yes, they made these not-really-certified child medics experiment on and heal their patients under the guidance of Khmer Rouge-approved medics. There was no Western medicine and no anesthetics. Examples of tortures would include performing an operation on a non-consenting human while they're alive and well, just to see how they heal. Spoiler alert, they did not heal. A man's chest was cut open just so the so-called medics could watch and observe a beating human heart, except the man died immediately after his chest was opened. They would often inject random substances into a human's blood vessel just to see what would happen. 
and most times, the outcome was deadly. They would keep a portion of the prisoners alive, just so when the time came, they would be able to draw blood from them and give it to the wounded Khmer Rouge soldiers. I can go on and on with these disgusting experiments, but I'm sure you get the point. Basically, a lot of innocent civilians suffered and underwent these medical experiments conducted by these very inexperienced child medics. And more often than not, they died. Now, I would like to talk a bit about the prison camps. I mean, the conditions were not better in labor camps or anything, but you may have had a higher chance of surviving. There were a total of around 196 prison camps scattered around, and the most infamous one would probably be Tul Slang, aka Prison 21, led by Comrade Duke. Since education was no longer necessary, a lot of school buildings became prison camps. When prisoners were brought in, they were photographed and you would see their photos lined up on the walls like a wall of mugshots. Those people in specialized fields would be taken out of the group, either used for the Khmer Rouge purpose, killed, or taken to work in labor camps. Everyone was required to write up a short autobiography, which would end up determining their fate. Prisoners would be subjected to different treatments, and while most were tortured and killed, the torture methods and reasons varied. According to survivors, they would line children up and force them to confess that their parents were spies that belonged to the CIA or the KGB. If they did not confess, they would get tortured and possibly killed. But guess what? If you did confess, well... That means you guys are traitors as a whole, and you could still be killed. For real though, you really think a six-year-old Cambodian kid knows what the CIA or the KGB is? Really. One prisoner remembered these prison guards would enjoy torturing and killing. They were even seen tossing little children around in the air, and then spearing them on a bayonet. It's so difficult to imagine in what world, in what universe, people are even capable of such actions. As for adults, they would get waterboarded, get shocked by electricity, get their toenails and fingernails pulled out, get stabbed or slashed, then get acid poured onto their open wounds, and so on. This was not enough to kill them, but definitely painful enough for them to pass out sometimes. Once they passed out, they would get water splashed on them until they woke up, then the torture would continue. Another incident details a woman who had been hung up on a hook through her mouth after she was unable to answer correctly during her interrogation. The guards then sliced her open, took out her heart, gallbladder, and liver. Every prisoner was underfed and prison cells were overcrowded, they had one small meal per day, and if they saw bugs and rats, those would become their source of food. Many people did whatever they could to stay alive. Prison cells had a small box, which was used as a toilet. If anything spilled out, the guards would make them lick it clean. Prison guards would torture prisoners just because, either to show their authority or to come off tough so they themselves wouldn't become targets. 
I'm not saying they were doing the right thing by torturing these prisoners, but I believe many of them took orders from their superiors in order to survive themselves. There were no gas chambers in Cambodia, but they did take groups of people out to the killing fields regularly, and they either gunned everybody down or used farm tools such as a pickaxe to save ammunition. These executioners at the killing fields were usually teenagers, and they would be ordered to dig a mass grave before the prisoners were taken out to be murdered. The bodies would then be thrown into mass graves, and those that did manage to survive learned to hide underneath all the dead bodies. Once everything was quiet, they would crawl out and learn to survive on their own. It was really difficult to come up with an exact number as to how many were once imprisoned in S-21, as in the prison 21, but it is estimated to be as many as 24,000 people. Approximately less than 10 managed to survive and leave the camp alive. Thank you for tuning in to the first part of the Cambodian Genocide. Please come back again next week for part two. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.